morning. How are yous this morning? Boy, that goes way back. I remember I was first, one of my first jobs was a dishwasher at Cobblestone Kitchen. And one of the things I remember about our manager, he always said yous. So that just, our mind plays weird tricks on us sometimes, right? That's probably more than you wanted or needed to know this morning. But good morning. We'll try again. As, uh, as many of you know, we've been spending, uh, boy, the past uh, nearly three months exploring what marks us or what should mark us as West Bowles Community Church. I've been suggesting to you that the answer is what Jesus calls the greatest and second greatest commandments. In short, love God, love others should mark us, should mark who we are as a Christian community. My dream, my vision, my call personally is to participate meaningfully in a community, a community that loudly and passionately and intentionally and explicitly and unashamedly is dedicated to living out those two commands. And this series, one way to look at this series is uh, it's really a rather long-winded way for me to ask you to join in this dream, vision, and call. And I have to thank you. I've been so incredibly blessed by your response so far. What, um, what started out as me inviting you to share in this vision has quickly become me running to keep up with your enthusiasm to take this on to give life to Jesus' words to love God and love others. And so, we began with the clear message that God loves us because it's God's love and our realization and experience and trust in it that motivates us and even more than motivates, empowers us really to respond by loving God. Loving God with all our all, with all of every part of us, heart, soul, might, and mind, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So please stand if you are able, or even if you're Cain, and let's <laughs> and let's dedicate. I don't know, that might be the best one I've got all morning long. So. Let's dedicate our time together in God's Word this morning, shall we? Let's dedicate it by declaring back to God His words, His really greatest and second greatest words to live by he ever gave us. We'll again do the Hebrew responsibly and then the English together. Please say these words after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloeka. Behol lavavka, uvahol nafshecha, uvahol maudeka, ve'ahavta reacha kamocha. Amen. Together in English, please. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You may be seated, please. In Torah, those first five books of the Bible, 
If you add up all the commands, God gave his people 613 commands. That number varies a bit depending on who you talk to, but a majority recognizes 613 commands in Torah. Now, it didn't take long after Sinai for God's people to realize that life often presents situations where it's impossible to keep one commandment without breaking another commandment. Have you ever experienced that yourself? Have you ever thought about that? That in life, maybe two of God's commandments collide in a way, well, if I keep this one, I'll break this one, but if I keep this one, I'll break this one. Here's just one example. One of the commandments we're all very familiar with, because it's one of the Ten Commandments, says, keep the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath, God says. Set that day aside for me. Later on in Deuteronomy, God says, if someone's donkey or ox falls over, apparently this was a problem, (laughs) if someone's donkey or ox falls over, help them get that donkey back on its feet, God commands. Those are two of the 613 commandments. Don't work on the Sabbath and help your neighbor get his fallen donkey back on its feet. Now, you know what's eventually going to happen. It's something we often call Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can go wrong will. What's eventually going to happen? What's some donkey inevitably going to do? Right. The donkey's going to fall over on the Sabbath. You just know it. And so there, a group of us stands Sunday afternoon after church, forming a little circle around our neighbor's fallen over donkey. What are we going to do? God said, don't work on the Sabbath. And I'm telling you, it sounds like work to get a donkey back on its feet. And God said, hey, donkey falls over, help your neighbor pick up his donkey. Well... One of these commandments is going down. Which one? And so as we stand there, contemplating our donkey dilemma, someone pipes up, hey, let's wait until the sun sets, then the Sabbath will be over. Or for us, maybe today, it's let's wait until midnight, then the Sabbath will be over, and then we'll get the donkey on his feet. And a few of us go, yeah, all right, that's a good plan. But then someone else says, maybe a more tender-hearted person, look at the stress this animal is in. Moaning. The donkey moans. I don't, we just can't leave it laying there. And then the owner of the donkey says, please, if we leave my donkey laying there, it's already sick, obviously. It's hurt. We get those animals back on its feet. If we leave it, it might die. My entire family is ruined, literally. A few more people say, yeah. And someone else says, but keep the Sabbath. That command made it on on the stone tablets, man. And there's no fallen over donkey exception. I checked. So what do we do? 
when two commandments collide? And the answer is, it depends. (laughs) It depends which commandment we believe is the greater commandment. Keep the Sabbath or help your neighbor with his fallen over donkey. And we can just imagine, it's not hard to imagine, is it? With 613 commandments, this sort of thing is going to happen a lot in the bedlam of life. Yes? Where two or more commandments collide. And so God's people were forced by life circumstances to decide which commandments were greater and lesser commandments. Because when commandments collide... When circumstances force us to choose among colliding commandments, God's people figured that God would want them to keep the greater commandment at the expense of the lesser commandments, something Jesus affirmed they were right. And by the way, this dilemma is largely the reason for what's called the oral law, the spoken law that developed throughout the centuries of God's people living out their life and being faced with colliding commandments. By Jesus' day, it was the area of expertise of the Pharisees, the experts in the law, who would help people answer these questions. What do we do, teachers of the law, when these commandments collide? Now, as we might imagine, different groups of experts in the law came up with different opinions on the order of the greatest to least commandments. Now there's a surprise that different people might disagree over things like donkeys falling over on Sundays. Big shock, right? But they disagreed. And by Jesus' day, there were several different schools of thought that had differing yokes, Y-O-K-E-S. Another way of saying they had different opinions, different interpretations of Scripture of what should be emphasized and or required to live a godly life, including differing opinions on which commandments were greater and which were lesser. Are you with me so far? Now, every one of these groups that we know of of, or I've ever studied or read or looked at, every group had Shema as the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, and might. That was everyone's number one commandment. But beginning with number two, or the second greatest commandment, the differences began. And so one group of Pharisees had keep the Sabbath as the second greatest commandment. That's what's going on in Matthew 12 and Luke 13, for example. In Matthew 12, you remember, many of you, the story. Jesus' disciples picked up some heads of grain, and then they would have to rub them between their hands to get at those grain kernels to eat. That's work. And some Pharisees were upset because they were doing this work on the Sabbath. So it's probably a group of Pharisees who had keep Sabbath as their second greatest commandment, or at least it was up there on their greater commandment list. And Jesus makes it clear. The Sabbath command is lesser than the disciples' need for food. His love of his disciples, love of neighbor, takes precedent over keep the Sabbath. 
in Luke 13. Another group of Sabbath Pharisees, if you will, were upset when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus makes clear the Sabbath command is lesser than love your neighbor. In this case, a crippled woman's need to be set free from her disability. And so, what would a group of Sabbath Pharisees do with our fallen donkey on the Sabbath problem? Yeah, that donkey stays right where it is until Sabbath is over. Because keep the Sabbath, in their opinion, is a greater command than love your neighbor by helping get that donkey on its feet. You see how that works. Another group of Pharisees in Jesus' day had their second greatest command, a big pot of ritual purity commands. Stay pure, avoid unclean things. A whole bunch of those commands, very high up on the list. And that's what's going on in Matthew 15, where some Pharisees are upset that Jesus is associating with sinners, even eating with them. And Jesus makes clear that the need for sinners to experience his presence, the love of God, a love your neighbor sort of thing, again, really, the need of everyone, including sinners, that's greater than God's commands in Torah to avoid unclean things. Another group, you know them, I think, those zealots. Their number two commandment was no idolatry. This explains their fierce opposition to Rome, to paying taxes to Caesar, or anything that threatened full and complete allegiance to God and God alone. And then, yet another group of Pharisees had as their second greatest commandment, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some are surprised to learn that having love others as the second greatest commandment did not originate with Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, quoting Hillel, a very famous rabbi who lived not too long before Jesus. Hillel is the earliest source we know of who said Love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. Now, as we'll see in a minute, and especially in the weeks ahead, Jesus takes this much further than Hillel ever did. But the fundamental yoke or interpretation of Scripture that love others belongs as number two on the greatest commandment list, that was already accepted by many in Jesus' day, even before Jesus almost as if God was preparing the way for His Son to take it even further to its extreme. And boy, did He. And here's one way Jesus did. In Matthew, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus includes in His answer a shocking, amazing, burst-out-laughing-in-wonder radical statement. First, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Is that a shocking statement? Nah. Frankly, I doubt if anyone there even batted an eye. They were expecting this answer. If he had said anything else, they would have likely walked away in disgust. It was 
everyone's answer to this question. No hilarious shock here. And neither did anyone react in surprise when Jesus continued by giving the second greatest commandment as, love your neighbor as yourself. Hillel had said that before Jesus. This was already an accepted teaching by many in Jesus' day. They had heard this before. No hilarious shock here. The shock came in how Jesus connected the love God and love other commandments. Jesus said the second is like the first. That many reacted that day. Whoa, wait. Love others is like love God? What did he say? You see, if love others is like love God, it means that those two commandments will never collide. They're like commandments 1A and 1B. If love others is like love God, We will never have to choose between the two. Or in other words, when we love others, we are loving God. Period. And there isn't anything that you can say with that same certainty. No other commandment is given this status. Not one. If we ever wonder how it is we are to love God... The only answer that can be relied on with absolute certainty in all circumstances for all time is by loving others. We will always love God when we love others because the second is like the first. And I'll bet some jaws dropped when Jesus said that. No one had taught that before, Jesus. No one had dared include a commandment in the same breath as the command to love Almighty God. No one dared to do that except God Himself. And oh, the New Testament writers run with this radical truth. Right there in the same passage in Matthew, Jesus says that both these commandments together lay the foundation for all of Scripture, no less. All the law and the prophets, a shorthand way of saying all Scripture, every other Scripture, somehow, in some way, fleshes out, describes, reveals, is really a commentary on how to live out these two like commands to love God and love others. In Mark, Jesus says there's no commandment greater than these two commands together. And in Luke, when Jesus is asked even, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus affirms that if we love God and love others, Jesus says, do this and you will live. And given the context of the question, the living Jesus is referring to is undoubtedly eternal life living. Love God and love others and eternal life is yours. Love God and love others and you will live forever, Jesus says. Wow! In Romans 12, Paul tells us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be willing to associate with people of low position. He quotes Proverbs 25 and tells us to give food and water to even our enemies when they're hungry and thirsty. And in Romans 13, Paul tells us that every imaginable commandment that we could even come up with is summed up in this one rule, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Galatians, Paul says to serve one another in love. 
The entire law is summed up in a single command, Paul says. Guess what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. I even had it on the screen. Okay. And even in Galatians, where Paul is often misconstrued as somehow being against doing good works, he's not. Galatians is full of warnings against works justifying us before God. But even there, Paul includes this important line. Don't miss it when you study Galatians. Paul says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Hmm, Paul sounds a whole lot like James after all, doesn't he? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It is more than a warm, mushy feeling, my friends. It's action. And speaking of James, he tells us that we are doing right when we keep the royal law in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. In John, Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. In Hebrews, the writer urges us to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In First and Second John, we read portions earlier this morning, Jesus reminds us that this is the command we have heard from the beginning. John reminds us we should love one another. He tells us that to obey God's commands means to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love one another. God's command, according to John, is that we walk in love. Our lives are love. In all three synoptic gospels, my goodness, this must be important. There is no escaping this. Scripture is saturated with the priority of the love others command. And of course it is. Jesus tells us that all of Scripture boils down to loving God by loving others. And go figure, Jesus is right. And I'm only sharing with you a fraction of what's in here, the Bible. In all three synoptic Gospels, Jesus is asked by a rich young man, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Rabbi, and each time Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments. But you know what? He doesn't even quote the first four commandments about our relationship to God. They're there. They're implied. But explicitly, at least, he quotes and he zeroes in on commandments 5 through 10. He singles out those commandments about our relationships with other people. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Honor your father and mother. And then he summarizes those, including all of the ten, down to one commandment in response to the eternal life question again. Love your neighbor as yourself. The New Testament writers grab hold of this radical statement by Jesus that the love others command is like the love God command. They emphasize that loving others is absolutely necessary in order to love God. We'll let John put a really sharp and final point on this, shall we? John says in his first letter that it's impossible to love God without loving others. If anyone says, I love God, John writes, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother cannot 
love God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And John can say this because Jesus said the second is like it. The command to love others is like the command to love Almighty God. You want to know how to love God each and every time regardless of the circumstance? Love others. It's the only way to know for sure you're loving God. The love others command will never be set aside for the sake of any other command because love others alone is like the command to love God. And so there we stand in our circle around the fallen donkey. What would Jesus do, do you suppose? Not work on the Sabbath or help his neighbor get that animal on its feet? We don't have to guess because Jesus tells us exactly what he'd do if he were there standing with us around that donkey. Jesus asks incredulously and rhetorically in Matthew 12, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? It is lawful, Jesus says, to do good on the Sabbath. I'll tell you what Jesus would be doing. He'd be pulling, pushing, lifting that donkey back on its feet, Sabbath or no Sabbath. Our God is so amazing, and this is the hilarious part to me. God alone deserves all the love. He deserves all the glory. He alone deserves everything. He's God. He deserves to be loved with all our all. He made everything, including us. And even though He doesn't need us for anything... He's God. He lavishes us anyway with undeserved, unconditional love, even giving up His only Son to die for us. And once God convinces us that He and He alone is absolutely worthy of all our love, and once He has us in love, what does this great, big, powerful, almighty, 40 billion trillion stars that He created What does this God do, tell us to do, with all of that love that we have for Him? Our great big God says, give it away. Love others with it. Take all the love that I lavish on you and all the love you have for me. And you know what? Lavish it on others. Because He loves them so much. Wow, does our God love people. He tells us, commands us to give what is due Him and Him alone to others. He loves people. He loves others that much, that completely, that deeply. Who does that? Name a would-be God, any God, any other religious belief at any time that even comes close. There's no one. No God is like our God who is so completely selfless, so completely humble, so completely generous and gracious and giving and loving. No God 
comes to his followers and calls them children. No God comes and says to them, Oh, my dear children, who I love so completely, will you love me too? Do you love me too? And if you do, love others. It's hilarious stuff that an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, forgot my omnis, huge God that is everywhere. It's really hilarious that he even cares at all. Not to mention the fact that he'd give his life and did give his own mysterious God-man, God in the flesh on the, for us. And then just when you start to think, and I hear sometimes, you know, God is just a big, uh, big glory hog. He's in it for himself, and he wants all the attention, and he wants all of my all. And, uh, no! What he wants you to do is give it to people who are hurting and broken and in chaos and don't know love and need them because he loves them so much too. And he wants everybody in his family. That's what he asks us to do. In the coming weeks, we'll see more and more and more how this second greatest commandment that is like the first plays out in the life and witness of Jesus. And how it should, therefore, be playing out in our lives, too. Nothing, absolutely nothing, should ever get in the way of our loving God by loving others. Nothing. Nothing. Loving God by others should be, must be, what marks us as followers of Jesus. We have, those of you who were here last week, you remember, we have a special opportunity to love God by loving others this Christmas. Last week we revealed our Red Envelope Initiative, REI. We're going to steal their... Don't tell them. The Red Envelope Initiative. Look inside your bulletins and you will find a red envelope. The high school uh, teacher in me insists that you take your red envelope and hold it above your head. Say, see, look, I have my envelope. Kids love to to show you that they have what they're supposed to have. Put your red envelope above your... Okay. Here's what you do. Put some money, any amount, in the envelope, no matter how much or how little. Don't take it from your weekly giving that you're planning on giving. Don't take it from a year-end gift that I hope God has blessed you and enabled you and put the cheerful desire in you to give. But anything extra, even if it's a dollar, or you put much more, but anything extra, put it in the envelope. Cash or check is fine. And once you have it in there, hand it back in by placing it in the blue tubs in the foyer. I'm not sure where Dave Beatty got that color blue, but you can't miss them. Put it in the blue tubs in the foyer, and we'll collect the envelopes today and next week if you need uh, some extra time. And then um, on Sunday, December 6th, we'll announce what we're going to do with your red envelope initiative money. That's right, I'm not going to tell you yet. 
But, I, you know, I can't, I, except to say it is so cool. I can't wait to tell you. I, should I just tell you? <laughs> nope, not going <laughs> to. We're, we're going to keep it a surprise. And one reason that um, I like keeping it a surprise is, um, you know what, sometimes loving others takes a step of faith. A step of faith uh, without knowing all the details and being to turn it over and analyze it or just how it's going to turn out. You just risk it anyway. Love's risky. So I want you to feel that a little bit, just as your friend, pastor, teacher, partner. So um, we're not going to tell you right away. But i got to say this, because I know if it were me, things like that... Trust me, you're not going to want to be left out of this. And so you'll let us know that you're in by handing in your envelope that you want to participate. And, um, you know, if you're thinking, I'm just not going to bother because uh, I don't even, a, a dollar really isn't worth the trouble. Someone else will make that up and I'll just sort of participate through the. Oh, please, I'm warning you. The wailing and gnashing of teeth there will be on December 6th by those who didn't participate will be epic. So, save your teeth the trouble. Have some fun. Put a dollar. Put ten, twenty, hundred, a thousand. I don't care. Whatever extra God has given you into the red envelopes, into the blue tubs in the lobby. And then we'll just see what God will do with those gifts. All right, I just have to share this story. She's not here this morning. But uh, early this week, a 13-year-old girl came by the church office asking for a red envelope. And she then took that envelope and emptied into it all the loose change she had been saving for something special. Just gave it away. That's so cool. Radical stuff, this loving others things. Join this team who came by this week, will you? God tells us to love them. And then he says, here's how you do it, first and foremost, every time. Love others. How about it, West Bowles? Do we want to love God? Then let's love others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you above any God we can even imagine know what love is and know how to love. You are indeed, as the scriptures tell us, love itself. Love alive. Thank you for this great love that you give to us. Father, as we respond to that love, as you give us the humility and the brokenness to respond and experience your love, and as it wells up out of us for what you, for what your Son did, what your Holy Spirit continues to do in the midst of our pain to encourage and help and support and love and cherish as our response wells up. Don't let us miss, Father, 
your heart and passion for other people, both inside the church and especially, Father, for those who don't yet know your love. Use us to be instruments of that love. Help us, Father, to love you by loving others. It's in Jesus, the Messiah's name, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction, His good words to you and all of us this morning. You know what? I like doing it in the middle of God's people because it was such a tradition. It was such a tradition that priests and even early church um, pastors would go in and among God's people and spread their hands, spread their arms, not because it's like a magic gesture or anything, but it picks up on those psalms especially that pictures God as a protective, um, someone with spreading his wings over us in protection. So let this be a picture of God's wings spread over you and all of us in love and protection this morning. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O West Bowles Community Church. The Lord is your God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. So help you God in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next week. God bless you all.